You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Kentucky podcast. Uh, if you listen to this podcast on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, I mean, you're just, you're just going to get everything you could possibly want about the Wildcats. And this particular Monday, I mean, if you're listening for the first time, man, are you in luck? Because we're talking cats and cards after a huge win by Kentucky on Saturday. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 in Lexington, but I'm actually in Charlotte right now for the Belk Bowl. Kyle Tucker of The Athletic uh, back in Lexington. We're recording this after midnight Sunday, so it's actually Monday, technically, early Monday morning uh, as we bring this to you. And yes, we're, we're talking all about uh, Kentucky's big win over Louisville. I mean, just just from the start of it, everything was just cool, like Isaac Humphreys. I don't know where he lives or what he's doing right now, but he was in Lexington and he sang the national anthem. So the former Wildcat, who we've you know has done a concert at the Opera House to raise money for uh, for charity. So so you had that. Then you had Bill Murray, whose son is an assistant on the Louisville staff. So he's sitting behind the Louisville bench. Uh, any game that has Bill Murray at it is cool. And then Joe B. Hall, the former Wildcat coach, and Denny Crum uh, walk in together. Now, they, they've been friends for a long time, and they had a, a radio show together. But back like in 1983 with the original Dream Game, I went back and watched CBS's pregame of that, like their lead-up, like a four-minute, four-and-a-half-minute pregame on Kentucky playing Louisville in the NCAA tournament with a trip to the Final Four on the line. In 1983, and because Kentucky wouldn't play one another, John Tesh was the reporter for CBS, and it was narrated the whole thing by Brent Musburger. And John Tesh is interviewing Joby Hall, and he's asking, "Why in the world has Kentucky and Louisville not played?" And of course, if you're a Kentucky fan, you should know that the reason why is Kentucky wasn't going to give them. Anything. They weren't going to throw him a bone. Why should we play you? We're not going to help you build your program. Your little brother. So John Tesh is asking Joe B. Hall why they haven't played. And Coach Hall says, can we just take, can we just cut this? Can we just, just turn that off? He, he doesn't want to answer it. So then they cut to an interview with Denny Crum, and John Tesh tells Denny, um, hey, I asked uh, Joe B. why you guys didn't play. And Denny said, what did he say? Well, he Wanted to cut off the interview. Then he was like, yeah, typical. That's 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 them. And so th- you think about wow. that in 1983, and now those two guys sitting you know, together courtside, which this isn't the first Kentucky-Louisville game that they've done it. But my point being, Isaac Humphrey's national anthem, Bill Murray in the house, Denny Crum, uh, Joe B. Hall, two national championship-winning coaches for each program uh, sitting together at the game. It, it just had that electric atmosphere, even though it wasn't, you know, a sellout. Uh, it, it just had that really cool atmosphere to set up uh, for what turned out to be an amazing game. Yeah. And, and Joe B has a little bit of revisionist history. Now he, he's like, Oh yeah. You know, it was just, uh, we've always been close. It's never, we never had the kind of rivalry that, you know, people think we did. But, uh, <laughs> Joe B was a big, as I understand it, I was certainly not covering the team then since I will, was barely alive, uh, but 
as I understand it, Joe B was pivotal in keeping that series from getting started. Um, and, and once it happened in the NCAA tournament and especially once Kentucky lost it, uh, I think there was some real, uh, vigor to, uh, you know, re- redeem their honor and, uh, right. it just sort of cranked up the interest in that game and the governor got involved. And anyway, um, thank goodness for, for all, everyone that, uh, that, that got done because now we have a, uh, a, a fun rivalry game, uh, although, um, I used to cover Virginia Tech football and uh, never saw them lose to Virginia. They just had the, that streak end. It was 15 in a row. Yeah. Uh, when you think about Kentucky, Florida, and Kentucky, Tennessee, Tennessee for years and football, um, I had a, a colleague when I was in Virginia, columnist, who said uh, it's a Virginia Tech, Virginia is a rivalry like the rivalry between the hammer and the nail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as not much rivalry if the other side doesn't win very often, and that's. Kind of the case, even though it, everybody gets jacked up about it every year. Kentucky now eleven and two under Calipari in that uh, rivalry, um, but it, there it was a good environment. Uh, the the lack of a sellout, the big chunk of open seats in the upper deck on one end, I think is sort of telling about just the state of affairs and attendance and in sports period. Yeah, uh, because yeah. this is a game everybody in the state cares about, um, and it wasn't full, but the crowd was great. I thought it was loud. Uh, Tyrese Maxey said at one point, Emmanuel quickly was putting his fingers in his ears, <laughs> and they were having to use hand signals because they couldn't hear Cal. Um, and all, and and certainly, it felt like. And Nick Richards said they fed off of that energy, right? Even from warmups, you know, the place was buzzing. Yeah. Um, and Kentucky played, I thought, really, really well. They led for almost 29 minutes of the game, uh, which ended up going to overtime. They led by eight at halftime. They led by 12 early in the second half. They blew it, and I thought, well, they're going to lose because they just totally coughed up this lead, and, and it looks like Louisville has all the momentum. Everybody in the in the paint for Kentucky had was in foul trouble, all three big men. And Maxie. Four fouls and Maxie. Um, and then, it, then they rim out a shot. Uh, Keon Brooks is uh, a fingernail away. If you see some of the, the, the still shots of that uh, tip in at the buzzer, it's down. It is, it is. It is maybe more than halfway into the cylinder. If you see some of the still shots, it seems uh, How in the world does it physically impossible yeah. that it didn't go in. And, and what an instant legend Keon Brooks would have been if he – uh, tips that in at the buzzer to beat Louisville. Uh, <laughs> but instead, they go to overtime. Kentucky wins it 78-70, to 70, basically on the back of Nick Richards. Yeah. And uh, you and I were texting about this. Uh, you know, On a day when Tyrese Maxey scores 27, a career high, and Emmanuel Quickly scores 18, a career high, uh, and Ashton Hagens has the – has a really good overall game and has the steal and slam and slap the backboard and all the emotions and L's down to, to punctuate that win. I only almost exclusively wrote about Nick Richards because yeah. to me, that's, that's your story is that in a, in a must win game from the start of the game and especially at the end of the game in overtime, he had an energy we've almost never seen from him, a toughness we've rarely seen from him, an awareness I'm not sure we've ever seen from him. He played the last nine minutes of regulation and the and the entire overtime with four fouls and never fouled out, slid in and took two charges in that time, 
and he finished with a, the rarest kind of triple triple double, I would think. Yeah. Uh, 13 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 fouls drawn. Um, just a just a whale of a performance by Nick Richards, and, and it was really a classic game. I mean, Kentucky controlled, you know, 65% of it, you know, deep into the second half. Um, and then let it slip away. And then from, from the, from the time Louisville made its run, it was, it was just a back and forth battle until about a minute and a half to go in overtime. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, as far as what Nick did and putting the team on his back and being in foul trouble in in that, in that, um, stretch there, it reminds me of like Nerland's Noel, that game in, uh, I guess it was maybe 2013, you yep. know, a horrible Kentucky Miss. team at Ole Miss. He had 12 block shots. Uh, Eight of them with four fouls. Yeah. And he really put the team on his back, and Kentucky wins that game. But that, uh, obviously, in, against Louisville, that's a even bigger deal. Uh, but it kind of reminded me of that, that Nick was uh, – and he took two charges yes. with those four fouls that you thought, oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's holding – everybody watching for Kentucky is holding their breath. He said he was holding his breath. Um, but I <laughs> tweeted, I, I think, at, after it was over, that that was the best four-foul work that I'd seen since Nerlens uh, mm. at Ole Miss. I mean, for all the great teams and great players and incredible moments that I have covered in nine years on the Kentucky beat – uh, a uh, a game, a random probably Tuesday night game in SEC play at Ole Miss that didn't mean anything. Yeah, is, is one of the most memorable things I've ever seen. I never have forgotten it, and and have mentioned it many times since then. That it's one of the most jaw jaw dropping individual performances that I have witnessed. To to think about a guy blocking eight shots. Yeah. With four fouls, and two of them were like violent dunk attempts at the rim <laughs> that he just just caught and shoved back to earth. Yeah, uh, that was spectacular by Nerlens. And and the weird thing for Nick is he's only credited. I don't think this is accurate, by the way, but he's only credited with one block in the box score. I'm pretty sure I saw him block at least two. Uh, but the other beyond the blocks is he altered a ton of shots. Yeah. Um, he, he was going body to body with a monstrous dude. Um, Stephen Enoch on the other side, who was trying to just bury him and they, they waged war and, and just to see Nick fight that way, to see him emote the way that he did. He, he, mm-hmm. I think he drew yeah. three fouls in like the first three minutes and after the third one, he went to the baseline and he just started waving his arms and screaming at the crowd to get loud, and they obliged him, obviously. And you thought, something's different about this kid today. Right. It, was, it was cool to watch. Heck, I didn't, I didn't uh, see your tweet about Nerlens Noel, or I wouldn't have uh, tried to steal that. It just, it just came <laughs> to mind to me when I, when I was thinking about it. But uh, we're, we're past due for a break. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, more on Nick Richards, of course. Um, Uh, many other topics to get into with this game, and we'll continue with that when the Locked On Kentucky podcast returns. At Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery, see 200 years of bourbon-making history in action. Smell the mash cooking. Touch the charred oak barrels aging in century-old warehouses. Hear the tales of bourbon legends Taylor, Blanton, Weller, and Lee, and taste award-winning spirits at America's oldest continually operating distillery. Experience a tour for every taste. Buffalo Trace Distillery offers six unique complimentary tours seven days a week year-round. 
like the popular Trace Tour, or see Bourbon Pompeii and walk through history on the E.H. Taylor Tour. Visit the world's bourbon destination, Buffalo Trace Distillery. To learn more about the distillery's history and spirits, visit buffalotracedistillery.com. Mention that you heard about Buffalo Trace Distillery on the Locked On Kentucky podcast and get 10% off merchandise at the gift shop. All right, we're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast, and we were talking there about Nick Richards, and uh, you had a great article, I think, about this because as we were texting back and forth, uh, there's no doubt it's the most important, I mean, it's the most important thing that, that, that happened because for Kentucky to go into conference play and Nick Richards to have reverted and um, not getting anything from EJ Montgomery, I would be a long Long conference uh, situation, and it still might be. We don't know. Right. I mean, this was one big game for Nick, uh, and he had feasted on cupcakes, uh, and then he kind of went backwards a little bit. But then he he shows up in this big game. So I mean, if this is a sign that he can be consistently this way, and I don't expect you know him to be like this every night in the SEC, but if he can be like this eighty percent of the time, you know, um, three out of every four games. Uh, which is 75% actually, but uh, that that's what you need out of him. And um, I, what, what you wrote about that uh, and, and all the parts of it, and one thing interesting about it um, that uh, I listened to Nick after the game where he said, where Calipari had commented that he'd reverted and he called him out and all that stuff. And Nick was like, I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> which I yeah. thought was funny. But um, no, I think your article, you know, hit the nail right on the head that this this was a big deal. Uh, and the, he had not faced a front court like this all season. And um, it bodes well for the conference slate. Yeah, I think it I think as much as anything, it validates to him that he can do it against a real opponent. Um you know, because that question has been hanging out there. I mean, he's been more productive this season by a mile than ever in, at any other point in his career. Uh, you know, he goes for 21 and 10 against Eastern Kentucky, 21 and 10 against uh, uh, Utah Valley, uh, 19 and 6 against Mount St. Mary's, double double, and the 10 points, 13 rebounds, and seven blocks against Lamar. Uh, 16 and nine against UAB, 12 and 10 against Fairleigh Dickinson. But what you notice in all of those stat lines is the opponent. They're you know they're nobodies. Um, right. And and he kind of laid an egg in Vegas. Uh, he only had seven points and eight rebounds combined uh, in those games out in Vegas. Um, I think know, just four rebounds. I think one I'm sorry, four had... rebounds. Yeah, yeah I, I've actually I was actually adding up the uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, rebounds yeah he had no rebounds against Ohio State now a lot of that and the one area like that that's still concerning uh a lot of the reason he didn't do much in those games is he was in foul trouble yeah and this Louisville game was the uh fourth consecutive and fifth out of the last six games where he's had four fouls um and that's been a, a thing that's plagued him all his career he's gonna have to learn to play better smarter I mean and they're uh, going to target him to moving and forward. The, you know, and the, the fact that he's just this huge human being and people will bounce off him, you know, go careening into him and he doesn't move so he doesn't get a whistle. <laughs> right. And then he, you know, he bumps somebody and they go flying and he looks like this huge ogre, you know, bullying people and he's going to draw flowers. He's got to understand that. But the significance to me uh, in the Louisville game is that he figured out 
how to play with those four fouls. And he he didn't uh, stop being aggressive. It didn't mentally take him out of the game, uh, which it so often does. Um, and the fact that he drew 11 fouls, that he was that he was battling for position, and he was putting the Louisville big men in such bad spots that they were just climbing on his back, basically. Because um, a lot of those were or on defensive rebounds he was drawing fouls or defensive rebound attempts. Um, so that was big. Uh, the other thing, you know, Manuel quickly said, like, Nick is never like that, emotional, screaming after and once. He's never like that. And we fed off that. Um, he said, whatever he did pregame, keep doing it. And so I, I asked Nick, you know, did you do anything different? He's like, I don't think so. Uh, but he mentioned his mom was there. So I went out and found her in the stands. I almost tripped and fell over top of her uh, and scared the hell out of her. The more I, like, replay, we were tweeting about this last night back and forth. The more I replay that in my mind, the more I realized what a horrifying moment it must have been. This stranger she's never met. Uh, comes and I my my credential was tucked inside my jacket too, so I just look like a fan, you know, like a crazed fan who's like coming at her out of the stands, and I trip over the seat trying to climb over and just about fall into her. Security comes rushing over. One of the security <laughs> guards, one of the security guards knows me really well. The, the, it's one of the guys that checks the bags coming into the upper end. He's like, no, 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 he's okay. But they were like, get the hell out of here. You know, so the, was, was this right after up. the game, or was this after the media opportunity? It was after all the interviews were over. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. Because I knew Nick was going to be circling back through the arena to see his mom. Right, so I, yeah. I headed out there, um, and so she she conducted most of that interview looking really suspicious of me, uh, but she <laughs> but she was good, and she said uh, she said um, you know he texted me right before they came out and said Ma, are you here yet? Like. He she he wanted right. to he was feeling like something big might be coming and he wanted to make sure his mom who doesn't get to many games uh, she's the lady obviously who brought him over from Jamaica um, uh, when he was fourteen and that's when his basketball career began um, she lives in New York um, doesn't get to many games he he wanted to make sure uh, that she was in her seat and he put on a show for her and and they were it was a proud moment for them she gave him a big hug and. She just said it was, I think she said awesome four or five times in a row. It was awesome, 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 awesome. And said, this is, this is what we've been waiting for. Um, and I think, you know, I think she speaks for Kentucky's yeah. entire fan base. Right. When, when she says this is what we've been waiting for. It's what everybody, the coaches, you know, I texted with some people inside the program uh, in the last 24 hours. And, and to, a, to a person, there is a, uh, a sense of relief. That they won the game, and also that Nick proved he could do that. Um, he had, he didn't just have to prove it to himself; he also had to prove it to his teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, I I can go play like this, and so to me, it sort of validates the work he did against those lesser teams. That that wasn't fool's gold. That like these stats are real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, you know, if 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 somebody told you Nick Richards was going to average. Um, 12 points, 7 rebounds, and 2.2 blocks a game this season, you would sign, you know, and shoot yeah, 69, 69% from the field and 73% at the free throw line. Uh, you, you take that in a heartbeat. Um, so he, he's, this, this was, to me, that was the biggest thing that's happened the entire season for Kentucky basketball was Nick Richards doing that. Well, maybe it was going back to New York City. You know, 
the stereotype of about being Jamaican is that you're chill and laid back. Everything's Irie, man, you know? Um, <laughs> and he does have Bob Marley tattooed on his arm. Right. So maybe he went back to New York City and felt that aggression within that that island up there and just uh, and just brought that aggression back with him to practice uh, and on the court. I don't know. But uh, we're due for another break. Uh, I, I think we'll close the book on the, on the Nick Richards stuff because there's more stuff to talk about. That UK defense that they played – uh, what an advantage free throw shooting is for this team that has not been uh, the case uh, typically under Calipari's teams at Kentucky. And we'll do all that right after this. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. Okay, back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. Let's begin with Keon Brooks Jr. Uh, getting his first start of the season. And I can remember, I don't know if it was on this podcast or on TV or somewhere, but I, I said last week, who is going to guard Jordan Nora? I mean, who's going to be charged with stopping him? And I didn't feel like it was going to be EJ Montgomery and Khalil Whitney. They've been wanting to be a defensive player uh, like a DeAndre Liggins. They've been talking about it, but did they have enough confidence in putting him on him? I didn't think so. Uh, I, I didn't really see that it was going to be Keon Brooks, but you know, the way Brooks has been playing with his effort and energy, He's kind of deserved that opportunity. And so that was the purpose of starting Keon Brooks is for him to shut down Nora. And he did that in the first half and then quickly got out there. I'm guessing that Calipari wanted to get more offense. uh, And so that's why he took Brooks out and switched quickly and was like, quickly, you're going to, it's going to be up to you now. But he quickly after the game said, yeah, our game plan was Coach Cal told us stop Jordan Nora, and whoever does that is going to play the whole game. Whoever can guard him the best is going to play the most minutes and quickly said, I wanted that to be me. I didn't want to come out of the game, so I wanted to do it. And, I mean, they did an amazing job on him. Nora came into the game with the ACC's leading score at 21 points per game. Uh, he was He's a preseason first-team All-American. Yep. For, for Louisville, and he was 0 for 4 from 3 in the first half, 1 of 8 shooting, and he only made one more shot the entire rest of the game, and that was the 3 in overtime. Yeah, more uh, more turnovers and fouls than made field goals, 3 three of each, and was 2 of 10 from the field. Um, uh, you know, a couple things. One, apparently this is just what Nora does. He piles up stats against lesser teams, and uh, tends to fade against better competition, but that speaks that tells you that Kentucky's better competition. You know, is Kentucky yeah. good? I think they are good. You know, are they great? No, not right now. But uh, they they can defend certainly on the perimeter. Um, the fact that that I would not have guessed that Emmanuel quickly would would be a great matchup there, uh, but he and Brooks did a very fine job uh, on Nora, and Brooks only gave them two points and. One rebound in 25 minutes, but and didn't make a shot. But it still felt like um, he had an impact, and certainly would have had a crazy impact if he tipped that ball in. Uh, But he ends up with a block and a steal. Um, But quickly, I think we probably should finish on Maxi because he did have a huge day. But I would say the other guy that really deserves a lot of of airtime in this is Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, again, a career high, 18 points. Um, he hit a couple threes, hit a couple big ones. 
Um, and he was eight of eight at the free throw line. He is now a ninety four point nine percent free throw shooter for the season. Uh, Just he's, unreal. He's only missed two free throws all year. Thirty seven out of thirty nine. Um, he is on pace to have uh, a Kentucky player break the school record for free throw single season free throw percentage in back to back years. Tyler Hero shot like 93% last season uh, to break that record and uh, and quickly is ahead of that pace right now. They've got they have to get offense out of Emmanuel quickly. Right. Um, yeah. you know, this is a team looking for ways to score and he's a guy who just knows how to score. Um, you know, he's he's had hot and cold time shooting the ball, but I think he's a good shooter. Uh, you know, basically lifetime 40% three-point shooter or thereabouts and and I think that that shooting is going to start to normalize because the free throw shooting for this team continues to be ridiculous. And you just don't have teams shoot 80% at the line and totally stink from three. I know I say that a lot, but it just, it, it's just defies logic that they've shot it as poorly from three as they have. And that got better uh, on Saturday. The team goes seven of 15. Uh, Maxi was four of five on his way to 27 points yeah. and seven rebounds, career high for him. Big game Maxi. talk more about that here in a second. But, again, I just circle back to what Quickly did and what he does consistently at the free throw line. There's a really cool video Kentucky basketball's account put out of him at the line. It's zoomed in on him, and he's doing this deep breathing. He's closing mm-hmm. his eyes, and it's, like, very, very um, uh, meditative you know, with 20,000 screaming people around him in the game on the line, he's taking these deep breaths and these long pauses with his eyes closed, and then he just steps up there and nails free throws. Um, that is big. I, I, I think Emmanuel quickly is maybe not after yes, after Saturday, but uh, I, I think in general vastly underrated, you know, what he means to this team. Um, maybe, maybe people understand it now. Well, I, I don't know. You may not have heard this afterward, but he was kind of talking about, you know, what's going through his mind right there. And, you know, Calipari has said, you know, he's got your words and stuff and talked to him. And so he said it's it's St. Aloysius. That's that's what he does right there. Seriously? He no, says it? No, oh. I'm <laughs> <laughs> That would be so great. It would be. It would be. <sighs> but um, I think what you see, this team is – is looking like a Calipari team in that, you know, four guys are averaging double figures, uh, but it needs to have the the Tyler Hero. It needs to have the P.J. Washington. It needs to have that that Mr. Reliable. Um, and, and it has to be Tyrese Maxey. He can't just show up in big games. He has the ability. Uh, it's not like he stopped shooting. I mean, he, he had been shooting. He just wasn't making them. Uh, but he has to be able um, – to kind of balance the shot selection when he needs to take when he doesn't. But if you can continue to get, you know, 12, 13 points out of Hagen's and you can get 12 to 15 out of Richards, but you need, you know, quickly to add a little bit more to that. And you need Maxi um, to be somebody who can get, you know, 17 or 18 a game. And then, and then somebody else has got to come along as well. But it, it just showed you when Maxi is, when you get that from Nick Richards, when Maxi is on and you have someone else, one other source of offense at least, uh, that and, and Kentucky plays the defense that it played against Louisville, that it can be in any game with anybody in the country, especially this year with with uh, the 
you know, there's no dominant team. There's no Duke out there. There's nobody that's just so loaded that you're afraid of. Anybody, everyone's vulnerable. And uh, Kentucky has shown, at least in a few games this year, I think the Ohio State game too, uh, they showed that they, they're definitely capable uh, of making a run. Yeah, and, you know, circling back to free throws, 21 out of 25 in this game. Louisville was 9 of 20, which was huge. Uh, Chris Mack called it their so, demise. Yeah, well, I mean, they're good. even their good free throw shooters were bricking yeah. up. But, you know, the fact that they've got some guys who've got, got, got some onions when it comes to that, I mean, this team is now shooting uh, just shy of 80% for the season. I think they rank 12th in the country, and they're top 20 in the country in the percentage of their points coming at the free throw line. So they're finding ways to, even in an offense that hasn't totally hit its stride, to score anyway, uh, forcing the issue at the free throw line. The fact that Nick Richards can step to the line, a seven-footer, and make – one and he had the and one that was just enormous. Yeah. Uh, when they were down by three, uh, he gets the offensive rebound, puts it in, makes the free throw. Then he hits two more free throws in the final minute. Um, he scored. By the way, they go down three in overtime. Nick Richards scored seven straight points. I don't know if yeah. I even mentioned that before. And in, in what a great game he had. Um, but I think you're right about Maxi. You know, he's 26 in the in the Garden on opening night against Michigan State. Uh, and everybody thinks, well, they've got their star, and then he right. kind of goes in the tank. Uh, and then he has another 20-point game against kind of a nobody, uh, and then he goes kind of goes in the tank. And then, you know, I think he started to emerge. You know, the, one of the positives out in Vegas was that he started making shots. He wasn't making threes. He came into this game one of 16 from three in his previous four games, uh, but he's not a one of 16 three-point shooter. He's a good shooter. Uh, not a great one, but a good one. And so that normalized when he hits four out of five in this game. Um, but he's got, he does, he's got, he's, he, he doesn't have to be great every night. He doesn't have to be the 26 point and the 27 point maxi every night, but he can't be, you know, eight point Tyrese maxi. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not going to win many games that Tyrese Maxey's not scoring in double figures. I mean, he needs to be, you know, his floor needs to be 13 to 15 points. And he's got to be the guy that every, three or four games can pop off for 25 to 30 points. Um, and he's got to be that threat much more consistently. But I think he will be. I, I, I'm I a big Tyrese Maxey guy. I thought he would lead them in scoring. I thought he would be their star. Um, and so I, it, it at least bodes well to me that he didn't play great, but he played really well uh, overall, I think, in that Ohio State game. He played great against Michigan State, and he played great against Louisville the three biggest games of the year to date he showed up and so that is at least encouraging because they'll all be big games in the NCAA tournament um and I know we're over our time pretty much but I we cannot talk about this game without including Ashton Hagens he Hmm. wasn't brilliant he wasn't brilliant in this game but he was consistent he was good like he's been every single night I mean he is the guy holding this team together uh, because he's never bad. He's not always great, but he's never bad. He had eight points, eight re- uh, sorry, eight points, eight assists, five rebounds, two steals and a block. He sealed that game with a, a steal and a dunk. And I tweeted out earlier, he is on a run of eight straight games with at least seven assists, and he's averaging mm-hmm. almost just shy of nine per game over the last eight. And he's had seven straight games with at least two steals averaging 2.4 a game in that time. And then 
this number is significant. Over the last seven games, he's eight of seventeen from three, which is forty-seven percent. Jeez, he's starting to make shots. Yeah. So you know, to me, Hagens is playing at a you know all SEC at minimum level, and and I would think he's playing as well as any point guard in the country, just about. Um, almost quietly, I feel like maybe because Kentucky has struggled, but I think he's been terrific. Well, you make a very good point about he's not always great, but he's never bad. I mean, he's so steady. You look at the mental toughness when you talk about free throw shooting. Uh, for one, Tyrese Maxey, he just he just has a confidence about him. It, he just doesn't flinch. It doesn't. He's he's moving on. I mean, it's nothing's nothing's affecting him. Um, that mental toughness. Ashton Hagens definitely this mental toughness. Emmanuel quickly has a confidence in mental toughness. Nick Richards is showing us his mental toughness, which has been a question over his career. Nate Sestina, uh, I think we can see how his mental toughness as well. And it's all, these are all reflected in free throw shooting numbers also. I mean, that's, that's also evidence of this. Um, the way Sestina has fought through, uh, you know, not feeling good about the way he was defending and then having the injury and then coming back and playing the way he did against Ohio state. And he, I mean, he gave a valiant effort uh, in this game as well, even though he wasn't like a, you know, a big scoring threat the way he had been. Uh, but that core right there of mental toughness, I mean, that bodes well for you uh, as a team going forward now if you can just get EJ. He's got that athleticism. It's, uh, it's, it's there. If you could just get him going that direction, because everybody else is going. And EJ and Khalil and Juzang – are kind of they're kind of left behind right now. Um, uh, Keon is also on the trajectory. Yeah, I would uh, say one one big note is Whitney Juzang to a lesser extent, but Whitney and Juzang playing two minutes each right in that yeah. game, and Cal saying I was trying to win the game. That tells yeah. you where those guys standing is, particularly Whitney, who was a starter and playing heavy minutes to get just two minutes in that game, zero shot attempts, zero. I mean, he is a complete goose egg. Zero everything in the stat box except for two minutes. Um, and if you thought if you said you were going to beat Louisville, number three Louisville, getting nothing out of a guy who preseason with people had going in the lottery, a McDonald's All-American, and almost nothing out of EJ Montgomery until the end, who once again does nothing all game, and then when when their backs are the wall, he did he gave them three rebounds, two blocks, and the assist to Richards on that cross screen yeah. in overtime. Um, so at least Montgomery can flick it on in desperation, but he's got to figure out how to crank the motor. The bigger concern, I think, is, you know, is Khalil Whitney just toast now? You know, is his confidence oh. shot? Is their confidence in him shot? He tweeted out, you know, no matter what, God got me or something like that today, one of those sort of emo tweets that guys put right. out when they're they're not getting the PT they want. Right. Um, that'll be a thing to watch going forward, but uh, – also a thing we can talk about more this week after we get through a couple of days of just nonstop football talk because I think the uh, I think the football teams do up for some uh, conversation. Absolutely, I, I do. I, I we're at thirty five minutes, but one more thing while it's fresh before we we gotta address this, especially since you mentioned the the uh, cross screen and pass to Nick Richards. Chris Mack is asked about how Kentucky executed down the stretch that they had struggled with that, and he goes. Um, how do I put this uh, and still be respectful? 
Essentially, he goes on to say, Kentucky and John Calipari, they don't run anything. They out-athlete you. They had better athletes than us. Their athletes had uh, were quicker on some screens and stuff. And while I coach my team and kind of do some things to to uh, play chess with the with the other coach, uh, this coach just you know they, they have some screens, they have some pin downs, and their guys are quicker and faster. And they made some plays. They made some shots that they uh, haven't been making. And uh, they have better athletes. So Calipari recruits really well and just rolls the ball out there. That was my takeaway from Chris Mack's comment. What was yours? That, that was an interesting sort of shot to take after you just lost. Uh, right. Uh, you know, you've lost two in a row to uh, the guy who doesn't run much. Now, I will say, you know, they, they got, they got a, I tweeted that out, and good grief, I don't even know how many comments it got. Uh, I didn't get ratioed, but but I'm surprised. It was very close. Uh, it, my take on it was he's not wrong, though. Uh, they don't run a lot of offense. Right, um, they don't. Yeah. You know, one thing I would say, and I, I mentioned it today on Twitter, was that um, it, while Mac is not wrong, I think one of the things Cal does well is he's he is sort of reteaching teams every year. And he has some guys back, but as a team, as a – as a unit, he's got a whole new unit every year. And instead of bogging those guys down, I think he does like to keep it simple. And the other thing he does is over the course of a season, the first couple months of the season, he starts identifying spots and ways in which guys are good at scoring, individual guys. You know, this is this is how you this is where your money from. Like I, right. I've been told from people that he there's been guys he identified the exact spot on the floor you know, and basically putting tape down in practice, this is where you shoot from. And, <laughs> and uh, he's good at that, and then he just hammers it. You know, and there's some, some video circulating today. You'll have to uh, – you can go to my timeline to see it that some folks put out just kind of addressing some of the bread-and-butter plays that they ran over and over and over and got 20-some points on against Louisville. Um, and, and bottom line is if you find stuff that works and it keeps working – uh, would you be a fool not to keep running it, you know? Right. Um, and so I have been one of the vocal people who said Cal needs to modernize a little bit and he needs to change his approach, approach uh, to the kinds of players he's recruiting and the style he's running just a little, just a tweak, not necessarily a total overhaul. Um, but I would also say Cal's in the Hall of Fame and he's coached all manner of talent to the Final Four, three different programs, in places where he didn't have his pick of the litter every year. Right. So if you think the guy doesn't know X's and O's, I think that's a little bit uh, insulting uh, to to his career to this point. It's just disingenuous. So um, odd. I guess I'd say I guess I'd just say it was odd for Mac to take that shot after a loss. Yeah, and again, you're right. I mean, he's not wrong. The Calipari is very concept based, and uh, you made all those points of why. But um, I've just seen moments. Uh, during halftime interviews and, and other moments during press conferences where the jerk and Chris Mack comes out. And so you yeah. s- you see that it's there. The, the jerk came out right there. Um, and so I think Kentucky fans are going to – they're going to learn to dislike him uh, quite a bit uh, as the years go on, and uh, especially if he continues to, to lose to Kentucky. He's going to – even more jerks going to come out of him. So. Yeah, I don't think he's like the total – the total like – uh, squeaky clean. I don't mean he's dirty. I just mean he's not like Mr. Perfect 
that it, that it seemed like I mean I, I, I yeah found Mr. Nice sort Guy of, yeah sort of sort of in, sort of uh, inarguably likable early on right but, but uh, you know as it not even as it relates to Kentucky I I've even seen some Louisville media be like you know I don't understand why he's so sort of adver- adversarial in post game press conferences. Uh, right. By the way, I tweeted that Chris Mack asked about Kentucky's late execution. I want to say this in a respectful way. They don't run a whole lot. And I didn't get into the whole rest of his his comments, but that he said that. Uh, 140 replies to that on Twitter, wow. which is wow. well, it was kind of a lot. I mean, it's... Uh, people people were fired up, and the, the gist of them were basically Kentucky fans saying, well, didn't run much and still beat you, buddy. Well, um, and Jerry Tipton goes in and asks him, like, how did it feel to, like, be kind of competitive with Kentucky? You're you're asking the third-ranked team in the country with one loss right? what it felt like to be competitive against your biggest rival who's just come off back-to-back losses and lost to Evansville. One of them was Utah. Did you get something out of like being in the game and and Mac's eyes get squinty like he's shooting lasers mm-hmm. at Tipton and then I think he had a moment of you know count to ten really quick before I tear this reporter's head off yeah and and he not the he, first to have that thought flash through their mind <laughs> <laughs> talking talking to Jerry oh but, uh, but yeah he gave it a, a diplomatic answer and did not uh, destroy Jerry Tipton but I thought he was going to for a second there just the look he gave all right we uh we have eaten up plenty of time and we could go on more because this this game had so many um we so almost many facets to it we almost gave our, our man Metz camfield what he asked for he wanted an hour-long episode and we we're pushing Whoops. it yeah we're we're gonna be about 15 minutes shy of that met so uh there you thanks go thanks for buddy. listening brother yes much appreciated i hope everyone out there had a wonderful holiday and uh has a happy new year as well coming up and so of course uh tomorrow the next podcast which will be uh will come out tuesday morning so game day we'll have all uh sorts of uh uh preview you know talking about this game against virginia tech we'll bring back like over under and do that uh as well and so i'll i'll be talking to uh coach stoops and several of the players uh oh in the morning um you know in a few hours here and uh so we'll i'll have some information on that and uh and we'll get into it so i'll stop rambling on and tell you to follow me on twitter uh at d-r-i-e-f-f-e-r you can uh ask any questions comment on the show and do the same with kyle he is at kyle tucker underscore a-t-h all right thanks for listening guys you are locked on kentucky Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.